Hey there, my name is Luke Simmons. I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Church Gateway, and I'm here with a couple of my fellow lead pastors, Frank Switzer, who's the lead pastor at Redemption Arcadia, and Tim Mon, who's one of the lead pastors at Redemption Gilbert. It's fun to sit here with you guys, and we're going to talk a little bit about ministry. And um, when it comes to ministry, you guys kind of entered it really two different directions. Tim, you started off as a pastor's kid. And uh, Frank, you um, didn't become a Christian till later in life. And so um, maybe Tim, start with you. When you think back to growing up in a pastor's home, what did you envision ministry, full-time vocational pastoral ministry? What what did you think that was like? Well, I mean, my dad was a hard worker. You know, he went into ministry from dairy farming. So I don't know if there was, the labor quantity was much different, but um, he was a small church, rural, small town pastor, which is a different dynamic than I don't know anybody in our world knows mm-hmm. anything about. But he was the guy who would type the bulletin and fold the bulletins. My mom would play the organ. My dad would preach, go to the hospital, knock on doors, 200 people. And the people were brutal mm-hmm. on him. Um, and it could be a combination mm-hmm. of not only that's just the way it is and and his makeup, how hard it was to him personally, you know, whatever that was. But I remember watching him going, that, that guy just works his tail off. <clears throat> so um, I, wasn't, I wasn't a believer. I was in church every time the doors were open. And uh, yeah, you lived literally next yeah, door. Yeah, right, right next, next door. I mean, <laughs> so many times I got in trouble <laughs> living close to the church. Um, but yeah, my, my dad would do everything. He was the only guy there was, and, and, Paid poorly. It was poor ministry kind of stuff because he was actually a supported rural missionary. Okay. So people would support him, and we would do deputation going to places around the country. And it was a lucky day if the church decided to support you at fifteen dollars mm. a month, and wow. you would do enough of that to kind of have some kind of way to live. And so that, but I didn't know what that that was weird or not normal. So, so nothing about what you've described so far makes me think that someone would experience that and go, I, I want to go in the ministry. Right. Well, I never <laughs> even thought about that. I didn't have a deep thought until I was saved. So mm-hmm. I, I skied a lot, played a lot, got in trouble. And uh, not like federal crime kind of trouble, but just mischief, you know. And <clears throat> um, it wasn't until my own sin was revealed at some deep level by God that I actually took it seriously or asked mm-hmm. questions. And it wasn't even like I thought through the whole thing systematically. It was like, oh, I don't know what to do with my sin. It was as mm-hmm. deep as it went. Yeah. And then as soon as I said, God, I'm sorry, the lights came on. And, that, and when that happened, I mm-hmm. thought, oh, if this is real. Wow. And I'm kind of an all or nothing burn the ships guy anyway. So if this is real, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And the only thing I thought I'd ever do, I wouldn't want to do his job. I'll be a youth pastor. Mm. And so that's that's the only thought I ever had. The only aspiration I ever had was I'll be a youth pastor. And that started in 1980. Yeah. And uh, so my dad had recruited at colleges, and I said, pick a school, Dad. He picked one, and I never went to it. I just drove there and registered and went to school. That's and it was youth pastor, and youth you pastor, did that for a while. Yeah, the, near where you grew up in Morrison, Colorado. Yeah. Um, there's a small little Bible college there that had the only youth program in the country at the time. Yeah. And so that's where I went. <clears throat> and... Uh, and there was a thousand other detours from there to here, but but that's how it started. Yeah, including your first job here at Redemption Gilbert was to be part of the facilities staff. Part of it, I was. That <laughs> <laughs> was the only guy. Well, I was doing ministry in Chicago. I was a youth pastor in a, in a Bible church there. And through a relationship, a connection, uh, somebody had moved out here and 
started talking about East Valley Bible Church and Tom Schrader. And mm. this is, you know, in essence, it was they're just starting. They don't know um, we could make a big difference. And so I just caught the vision, you know, and moved my family out here without a job yeah. and without a home. And um, mm. when I started looking for work, <clears throat> one of the things that opened up was the, the custodian position here. And I thought, well, that gave me proximity. So yeah. I took the job, mm. you know, cleaned and then did ministry on the side. Yeah. That was for one year, 98, mm. and then became the high school pastor mm. after that. And Frank, your growing up history obviously is pretty different from that, but a similarity in that it wasn't, I mean, obviously you came to faith, had a pretty dramatic conversion. Right. What was your uh, kind of entrance into pastoral vocational ministry? My family life is like the anti-Tim family <laughs> life in terms of how I grew up. Um, and this is not a comment on your family life, but I did resonate with what Tyler said recently in a sermon in, at Gilbert that it wasn't a Christian family, but it was a loving family. Mm, yeah. So, um, but I, I never been to church, like been twice in my life. They were midnight masses. I was impaired by alcohol, mm. that sort of thing. And um, at my place of work, I'm 27, 28 years old. I met somebody who kind of grew up in the church and um, we had a two-year friendship and, and uh, worked kind of together and had a two-year friendship and she was really committed and I used to mock her and, hmm. and make fun of her and stuff. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and eventually we started dating and we had a conversation about the fact that I wasn't a Christian. She'd never dated a non-Christian, but I told her, I said, uh, I wanted to, be, I want our dating experience to be partly if not mostly going to church and you helping me with this hmm. to figure it out. And so God saved me at North Phoenix Baptist Church when Richard Jackson was there. Huh. Wow. And uh, so that's kind of how we got it, how I got into it. I, we were so still in the market. Saved. That's how I got saved, but yeah. we were in the marketplace and I was doing retail and restaurant management for years and um, never thought that, you know, I, I thought people who actually did ministry vocationally were, uh, there, there was just something special and different, smart about them, schooling, mm. all that stuff. There's no way. Um, I started going to Schrader's Bible studies. Mm. That made a big difference in my life. I began to realize that, oh, this really does connect with real life. Mm. Uh, his teaching had a profound impact on me. And then I started teaching mm. at North Phoenix and some of the departments there, primarily young adult uh, departments. And, um, and then the the business that I was leading was sold. I was not a shareholder. Yeah. Other people were. They decided to sell. It had been, a, been in business for 77 years. Got sold, and I'm 35 years old. Mm. No college degree, but I have a brand new worldview. Mm. So I went back to school and got a bachelor's in religious studies. Went up, got a master's in divinity from Fuller. And then, and then a Master of Arts in Human Communication Theory from ASU and started doing ministry. So you guys now have both been at this for a couple of decades. Right. Leading, teaching, preaching. Um, when you think back to your hopes and your mindset when you were starting out in ministry, how, what, what do you think of now? How does it compare now? Like, how's it been better? How's it been more challenging? How's it been different, maybe? I'd take it any direction you want, but... What would you kind of think, how's it compare to what it, what it was when you started? Well, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a lot of deep thoughts. And, and I thought, well, I would like to influence and care for students and see them come to know Christ and see some sense of, and I've prayed this my whole life, uh, 
without really understanding the depth of it. I prayed for revival. So God, mm. do whatever that is, whatever that would look like, some extraordinary thing. So mm. I'm, I'm still, I'm 59, still hanging out, waiting for that one. But, um, but that's th those were the simple things. And and uh, my personality's driven, so I would make plans and take hills. That was just what it was. And people were secondary to the plan. Mm. Um, not because I didn't care, but you were going to lose in that sense. And I suppose if I would look back, I mean, I got a thousand regrets. So, um, but if I look back then, you know, even the beginning of my ministry, it was I didn't have the heart for people that God wanted for me. So now you'd go, man, this is actually way more about the people and the relationships oh yeah. Oh yeah. than, than yeah. just the kind of take the mountain kind of thing. Yeah, I was in a meeting recently and I was trying to describe whatever it is I'm you know, my job or whatever. And I said, you know, it, it takes me a long time to get somewhere. It took me 30 years to fall in love with people. Hmm. That's, that was my story. Hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've learned is that um, vocational ministry is a lousy place for people who are in a hurry. Hmm. Uh, it's slow going. And the personal development is slow going. Yeah. But the development of your mission and your ministry is also slow going. But in more practical terms, I have, I, I came into ministry with more than 20 years, very serious marketplace experience, retail, restaurant management. And in that environment, and we have taught our entire culture that the customer is always right. And so when somebody Ministry is just the opposite. <laughs> See, this is, this is what I'm getting at. But what people don't understand, I think this is an important point, is that somebody sends back a meal, great. Somebody brings a, back a blouse, they're unhappy with it. They've had it four months. You give them their money back, you give them whatever they want. The customer is always right. Because that transaction is only between the customer and the company. Mm. And there's this implied social contract that we all recognize that we we're willing to pay imperceptibly higher prices to have that right to be able to do that. And I think that's a good thing. But we've been trained in that as people. So now we come into the church and we treat the church as a mm -hmm. consumer product where the customer is always right. The problem is where the corporation kind of submits to the customer, we submit to God and his word. Mm -hmm. um, and when you have a preference in a church, you you want the church to adopt that preference for an entire community. It's not a transaction between you, just you and the leader. It's a transaction between you and the community. Mm. And people struggle to understand that. So that's been one of the hardest things for me to be able to reconcile and work through. The greatest thing though, I never thought about this. The number of people that I will discover on accident serendipitously that have this incredibly deep faith that mm. they've never touted Mm. They've never made sure that I knew about it. And then you just kind of find out mm. this person mm. really loves Jesus and isn't walking around making it, his piety known. Yeah. He serves, he tells people about Jesus, she loves Jesus. Yeah. But it's this absolute poor in spirit humility that blows me away, which makes the faith real to me. Yeah. And it makes... It, Every time I'm a little discouraged, it seems like God has me run into one of those people and I go, this is all worth it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's funny. People, you know, of course, as pastors, we're on the stage and have the microphone under the lights. But 
but really the church is built on just all of the people who are yeah. loving the Lord and serving him faithfully and doing the small things. You're always yes. encouraging uh, leaders to pursue what's small, not just what's glamorous and big. And so uh, I, I guess that sort of leads me to, you know, you guys have a lot more ministry and life under your belt than a lot of the leaders in redemption. What's it like to be surrounded by a bunch of younger leaders? In your case, Tim, a lot of whom you had, you know, direct influence in developing and stuff like that. But either way, you know, you, you look around Redemption, it's a pretty young organization. What's that like for you? Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a very encouraging thing because one of the things I've always cared about is what's next, you know. I mean, I don't know how much you're supposed to care about this job, future leaders, as a leader. All I can speak to is how much I thought about it. And... I feel like one of the tasks beyond what you're doing is you're always thinking about how do you replace yourself? Mm. You know, who's next? And uh, not in a weird kind of way, but just always have that thought. And uh, so when you see it, and you see it come to some sense of fruition or beginning or genesis, like a lot of young leaders or church that start and however much God allows you to have a part to play in that, you obviously are encouraged that it's that it's happening and that mm. God is using it. Um, there's also there's also the frustration of working with young leaders, you know, and it could be a combination of. Uh, so I could assume what those frustrations are. <laughs> give me a, give me a couple of them, and you can you can chime in too. I don't me. know if this is good. It's just an admission. So let's just start there. So I'm not even saying this is the way it should be, but you know the how God wires people differently. You know, I'm not by nature. I don't look through life as as an optimist. I'm a critical thinker mm -hmm. by nature. So I'm always looking for the gaps and the problems yeah. and what's this or what's that. And the older you get in ministry, so I started in, in like a long time, 84, so we're 36 years. The longer you're in ministry, you've been there and done that. Hmm. You've crossed all these T's. You found Mecca. You did all that. You had, you had your moments, like you're watching all the young leaders have their moments, and you're left as a cynical guy going, yeah, we'll see. It, we'll see. <laughs> and and it, yeah, I know it sounds like the greatest, but it's not the greatest. It's the latest, and it's okay. Hmm. And it, and you're you're you know that you instinctively sense that, but you don't want to be the killjoy to their version of coming to grips with those things. So there's a, sometimes a frustration. I eat my words a lot. I swallow my tongue a lot in meetings. Hmm. I kind of watch it happen, and and in my mind going, yeah, whatever. I don't. And the hard part is to not let that be seen so much that I put a damper yeah. on enthusiasm, but it is in my head mm -hmm. and that affects how I respond or how I don't or whatever. So mm -hmm. that's a tension, but exciting too at the same time watching people grow and become and do. Yeah. What's it like for you, Frank? Almost exactly the same, <laughs> um, but I can't imagine doing ministry without that tension because mm -hmm. it's fun and uh, yeah, they're wrong sometimes, but I'm wrong sometimes too. Mm -hmm. um, I. I prefer when in humility and forgiveness we can work those things out. That doesn't necessarily always happen. Um, but I agree with him. I will say this. I, I just realized, I've known Tim a long time. I love him, and he's a guy that I seek counsel from at times. I think it's good that God has us in different churches. Hmm. Because if he and I led the same church, you know how... Paul describes a body in 1 Corinthians uh -huh. 12. Our yeah. church would be an elbow. That'd be about it. <laughs> we have exactly the same outlook and perspective, and uh, it's good that we're in different places. Yeah. But 
Um, like Tim, I'm still learning about that stuff. And uh, we just we just licensed, you know, Trey Fraley on Sunday morning uh, during our services. And he's a young leader that's filled with this enthusiasm and wants to try all these new things. It's the same thing. Where do you let them fail? Where do you let them discover on their own? Where do you let them prove me prove to me that I'm wrong? Yeah. And where do you also prevent them from running out into traffic and killing themselves? Yeah. You know? Hmm. What's well, wild for me because I... You know, I grew up with you having a lot of influence in my early development as a as a man and as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor. It's interesting that you reflect back to him and think, you know, you didn't maybe care about people the way you did. But I was on the receiving end of your care um, quite a while ago. It's interesting to me now I'm about the age that you were when I first met you. And um, I remember at that time thinking, man, this guy is wise and this guy has got a lot figured out. And now I'm where I am going, I don't have anything figured out. <laughs> I don't think I have any wisdom. Um, and yet, man, what a gift to have uh, to have leaders and people who are ahead of you in life to pour into you. And um, man, you guys just are both of you such a such a gift mm-hmm. to redemption. Um, I'd be curious, Frank, as you sort of look ahead and you think mm-hmm. about um the next wave of leaders? What are some things that you hope they'll just always hang on to? Well, uh, the proclamation of the gospel and shepherding people well. Mm. And uh, I think it starts there, mm. but you can't, those are essentials. You can't eliminate that, but then allow everything contextually to emanate out from yeah. from, from there. I think that's important. Um, I, you know, I look at Josh Watt, who's planting just a few miles north of us, and I'm just filled with joy at, mm. at his, again, his vision and his enthusiasm and all that. And um, if that's kind of the direction we're going in, I think we're in pretty good hands yeah. in terms of, you know, human beings. Yep. Well, I love you guys and appreciate your uh, investment in me, your friendship, and just what a gift you are to our church. So thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.